0: The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here's Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick.
2: Hello, everybody. It's Brendan Anderson. Welcome to The Second Stage. And this is Jeff Cadlick, the other
3: host
4: of The Second Stage. Uh, we're glad to have everybody here this week. Uh, we've got another great show for you this week. This week we're going to cover intellectual property with a guest uh, that we've worked uh, uh, quite a bit with. As usual, um, we're bringing on guests here that that are, are, are people that have done this before, we've worked with successfully, we know that they can add a lot of value. And this week we've got a guy on the uh, phone Uh, in our second and third segment by the name of Tim Connors. He's a partner at a uh, a law firm headquartered here in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, called Calfee Halter and Griswold. They also have offices in Columbus and Cincinnati. But uh, we started uh, working on our uh, intellectual property portfolio a number of years ago, and it's appropriately confusing, so we thought we would bring it to everybody's attention here uh, on, on the second stage. But before we move further on intellectual property, we always try to recap What we had talked about the week before, and last week we had a very um, timely discussion on the Affordable Care Act with our guests Rob Edmonds and Andrea Esselstein from Oswald. And if you haven't noticed yet, uh, they shared some resources on our blog that you can go and review and certainly follow up with Rob and Andrea if you so choose. We found that their weekly uh, information updates, particularly in such a fluid situation that you've got right now with the Affordable Care Act as it stands today, is uh, is very, very important.
2: Hey, Jeff, it's I mean, as you know from uh, reading uh, the the papers over the last couple of days and at least even weeks since we talked to uh, the Oswald people, I mean it's 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 unbelievable how it changes day to day. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, funny. We, as you know, we see very resourceful entrepreneurs every day and every week, and um, there are many, many, many things that entrepreneurs can do for themselves. I, I Jeff, I just my gut feeling is this is just something you got to find an expert on. It's just too fluid and changes uh, changes daily. You know, I. I uh, it, it, it's frustrating for because from an entrepreneurial perspective, you would think that the delivering some sort of a predictable, consistent, um, uh, you know, kind of cost structure to the business environment so they can go off and predict their costs and hire people would be something the government would be trying to do. But uh, as you know, Jeff, this has been extremely frustrating to uh, most business owners and, and managers, and as well as the employees.
4: Yeah, definitely. And you know, I think that the uh, business community can deal with a lot. But what they really struggle dealing with is uh, not having predictability. And I think that how this is rolled out, and look, it's a massive program. There's a lot going on. It's certainly complicated. The healthcare system was complicated before. I certainly don't think this has streamlined the situation at all, but the lack of predictability. Uh, has really caused a real problem for companies of all sizes and in particular small businesses where we uh, have our uh, focus and emotional attachment to. Um, And it it makes it difficult for you and I as we try to support our partner companies and trying to act as an extension and help them through situations like this, developing a coherent strategy uh, to advise them that's something that you and I normally can do on a lot of subjects, but on this subject, as you were pointing out before, you really need experts because it is so fluid.
2: Yeah, and even and the experts are spending massive resources just keeping up with things that are changing. I mean, just in the last week, the you know there were some uh, timelines that were extended and, and penalties that had cha- that changed and so forth. And you know, I'll tell you, it just you add to that over and above the Affordable Care Act, just how complex it's it's got. You know, um, I have a uh, uh, you may not know this, Jeff, but uh, Marnie, Marnie actually hurt her knee. And when I called uh, our insurance people and asked if uh, you know where she could go to get the knee check, they said, "Well, it all depend not only on the doctor where she went, but also the fa- the, the facility." And you're just like, "Oh my God!" It's just your head your head spins. It's a uh, I have a lot up there, Jeff. It's hard to retain this sort of information. But uh, I tell you what, man—it just if you have to, you have to match up a a doctor with a facility and so forth. It just, you know, literally, it gets a little overwhelming. But uh, um, it's—it's. I don't. I think that the complexity is here to stay for quite some period of time. And um, you know, I think the only thing we've deduced over the last uh, year, two, three years is just there there are people that study this every day, and you got to go with them. So.
4: Yeah, I I definitely agree. And, you know, trying to be positive here, you know, it's a massive undertaking. And, um, you know, hopefully all of these new variables that you have to think about today will become a little bit more routine, you know, 12 months from now. But uh, as we keep bouncing back, uh, please go to our blog, uh, read some of the the materials that Rob and Andrea from the Oswald Companies have posted on our blog as a resource. And, um, you know, certainly hope for the best as they, they work through a another rollout of the website uh, sometime, I think they said, by the end of November of uh, this year. So uh, so moving on, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about intellectual property this week. And as I had mentioned before, we've got a fellow by the name of Tim Connors on the line uh, for the second and third segment of our show. And Tim practices information technology and in, in intellectual property property law, advising a diverse range of clients from emerging software and internet-based businesses to established companies in sectors such as healthcare and life sciences, media, consumer products, professional services, manufacturing, and private equity, which would include evolution. And Tim has been an associate um, in other firms uh, acting in the same capacity um, and, in fact, uh, uh, was involved with the National Public Telecom. Telecomputing network um, in Connor's Productions. And uh, we just, we'll take a little dig at uh, Tim during the show because in his college days, he was a. Uh, a He's a professional. A- He's a, t- a disc jockey, so he's probably going to eat, unseat one of you off of this show, uh, either you or me, <laughs> Because, but we'll see how he does. We'll see how he does. So Maybe he'll change his voice for us, something a little bit more interesting. But, um, you know, Brenda, we started looking at intellectual property uh, and, and, you know, several years ago as I had pointed out, and a lot of it just had to do with the fact that we were making a lot of investments in this space and that the the, the area that we were in we were trying to carve out a, a new new style of investing, a new part of the private equity continuum.
2: Yeah, Jeff, and I give you credit because, as you know, uh, for those people that are listening, I mean, this is something that Jeff really kind of spearheaded, and it was something that I didn't see a whole lot of value in when we first got going. And now I see not only has um, focusing on this intellectual property, you know, kind of helped us, uh, you know, critically be. Be be distinct in the marketplace, but also is uh, you know really helped us focus on on what we're saying and what we're doing and, and the image that we're trying to portray. Um, it does also also uh, quite frankly forces to better understand our, our competitors in the marketplace. I do have to chuckle though, Jeff. It's is um, as as we got ready for this show, and I was reading through some of Tim's information. Um, I was ch- you know th- we I go from uh, a topic last week where it was very difficult to get our arms around to a topic this week, which I consider just very gray, you know. There's not. There's little. There's little black and white here. It's. It's. I mean, I guess you know, Tim may disagree, but it's. As I was reading through these. These. The stuff. It really is about focus, and it really is about understanding the details of the game, and. Uh, uh, Jeff really um, took this, ran with it, and um, and you and uh, and Barbara Hernandez in our office have have really uh, uh, you know, kind of moved our intellectual property down the down the road. And Jeff, what was it that, that, that when you when you decided to take this on, probably what five years ago, what was it that you were you know, what that kind of gave you the the thought to do it?
4: Well, it's funny. It, it's it was the point I was actually going to make, Brendan, was that you, the internet today makes us almost. That much more important because everybody's falling all over themselves trying to build their platform online. And you can, our website is evolutioncp.com, but you know, there's other people that, you know, were evolution this and evolution that. And we were, um, you know, struggling with making sure that we carved out this space so that somebody that we had talked to didn't go try to find us on the web and they stumbled into somebody else who was doing something similar and they said, well, geez, Jeff said that, or Brendan said they were doing this and clearly by looking at this website, which was the incorrect one, they were doing something else. So that was... That was really the the beginning that got us uh, very focused on on this. It's you know evolution is a word that's been around for a long time <laughs> and is well used out there in the market. So um, so we're going to get into this after uh, this first segment here. But as always, I, I want to remind everybody that you know this is a show that is an exchange of ideas, and we want to remind everybody each week to. Uh, you know, dial in, blog, uh, send us an email, uh, and, and just try to get involved. It's all about providing actionable advice and learning from each other and Brennan and I have done this for many many years but we're certainly not experts it's a it's an ongoing thing and the more people that participate you know the better um, and I would also like to th- uh, thank our sponsors McGladry LLP is a leading provider of assurance tax and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6700 people in 75 US cities and as I say every week they've been enormously helpful to our organization and we would encourage you to check them out if you're considering uh, needing uh, uh, some support in in that area and so with that we're going to sign off for this first segment and uh, when we come back we'll introduce Tim and get into some interesting stuff regarding intellectual property. Thanks for listening to the second stage.
1: what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn how can we americans realize our dreams to earn a living how can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee learn how at the american business person the online weekly radio talk show hosted by rich killian Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it.
4: Welcome back to the second stage. This is uh, Jeff Cadlick, and I've got my uh, co-host on the line here, Brendan Anderson. Um, you know, Like any forum, as I was saying at the end of the, the last segment, you know, this will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. We invite you to continue the discussion each from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com. You can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com or even call us at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. We want to hear from you because being an effective small business owner is a continual path, and as your hosts, we have a lot of experience, but not all the answers, and we are here to learn just like we hope our listeners are too. Our guest this week is Tim Connors, the partner with Calfi Halter and Griswold, and the uh, the title of this show is How to Navigate the Intellectual Property Landscape, and uh, you need somebody like Tim to guide you through this landscape because it's a rough, rough, unforgiving landscape.
2: Yeah, Tim. I was uh, before you jumped on. I was kind of commenting on uh, reading through some of the material and realizing, from a from a uh, kind of simple mind like myself, it just seems so gray. You know, there's just is you know the black and you know. Whether, you know I just want to know as an entrepreneur, I want to know exactly what to do. And and uh, you may and I uh, look forward to you uh, being able to give us tell us exactly what to do. So uh, uh <laughs> welcome to the show. I, I, uh, Thanks, guys. <laughs> we uh as we know it's uh, it's never quite that simple. Hey you know it was interesting um when we talk about intellectual property it's you know it's such a it's it's a word that means a lot of different things. I was hoping maybe to start with kind of what you know what is intellectual property what are the different makeups of of the you know the kinds of intellectual property that that uh, that you can protect or you know potentially things that you can't protect.
3: Right. Well, so uh, usually when people use that phrase, they're talking about uh, a handful of different things that are in some ways similar, but each, each has its own unique characteristics. So when you're talking about protecting some kind of new, new invention, it could be a product, it could be a process, it could be a formulation, a recipe for uh, something, that is typically, you would be talking about a patent. For that, or you might be talking about trade secret protection, and those are two different things we can talk about in some more detail later. If you're talking about um, protecting what lawyers call works of authorship, things that are you know written text, images, uh, you know art, anything graphical, and uh, maybe the most important for purposes of your entrepreneurs software, then you're talking about copyright. Typically, and when you're talking about uh, protecting your your brand names and your product names and your logos and other things that identify the source of a good or the source of a service, then you're talking about trademarks and service marks. And uh, so each of those have their own unique uh, flavors, and they protect you know different aspects. Sometimes you could have more than one of those things that protects a different aspect of a of a, a same product, for example.
2: When, when, when looking at this from an on, from an entrepreneur's perspective is it you know we 've talked about patents uh, trade secrets copyrights trademarks is there there is there a rule of thumb about what things that I can protect versus things i can 't protect or is yeah, it just not
3: yes for for each of those those rules are a little bit different uh, for um, For patents and for copyrights, it needs to be something that's uh, novel, something that's new. Um, For trademarks, it doesn't necessarily have to be new, but it can't be already in use by somebody else for something that's similar. And trade secrets protect things that are secret and valuable, and uh, those don't have to be new at all. Hmm. Uh, although if if they're widely known, then they're not secret. So, so each of those is a little bit different.
2: And 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 I'm sorry to keep beating up on this one because it's it's a personal interest. The so literally to find out, you know, uh, if an entrepreneur believes that they've got something that's novel, um, you know, from a from a patent or a copyright perspective, is is it is it the the, the law firm would help them kind of find out how how novel it is. Uh, in some cases How do you find yes. that
3: out yes well so for example if uh if an entrepreneur is interested in uh getting a patent and they you know they 're pretty familiar with their field and they're not aware of any uh outstanding patents that are out there, they can do some uh searching themselves using the uh the patents that are in applications that have been published that 's not all of them but Some of them have been published. All the issued patents have been published, and so they can do some searching on the patent office's own website with keywords and things to see if they can find anything, but um, they can also call a law firm, and sometimes a law firm will do the search. Oftentimes, a law firm will commission uh, a third-party searcher to do the search, and they do searches all day, every day, and sometimes the pricing is better, and they're very good at doing these searches. So uh, there there are ways to, you know, to dig into what's out there. And sometimes a Google search is a good way to find things that might be relevant as well. You can also, uh, if you're thinking about a trademark, uh, you know, you can search the trademark offices databases and, and, uh, again, you can do a certain amount of that yourself. And then, again, you can have law firms help you. And, again, they will often uh, use third-party search firms who are really good at formulating searches that that bring out a lot of additional information. And they also search additional databases besides the Trademark Office database. And they can search other countries and s- state databases and so forth. So, um, you know, in both cases, there are things that, you know, you can do yourself up to a point and then when you want to take it to another level, you can bring somebody else in to help with with more detailed searching. Copyrights are very hard to search. There's not any uh, way over the web to sort of search uh, the, what is the content of what's copyrighted. You can search owner names, you can search titles of things, but you can't say, are there any books out there on this topic? Using the gotcha. uh, Copyright Office website.
2: It kind of chuckles how Google strikes again. They seem to be in just about every discussion. But uh, it, <laughs> t- tell tell me, and I guess they get paid for it. But uh, tell me, what, what are some of the reasons is an entrepreneur? Why, you know, why would I why would I want to go out and get a patent? Or uh, yeah, that's things? a good question.
3: There's there's a bunch of different reasons, and some may be stronger, or weaker for a given entrepreneur. The the biggest one that people tend to think of right away is is we would call it. Offensive use—you want to control, uh, you know, the competitor's ability to use the technology that's covered by the patent, so that you can, you know, secure or or increase your own market share. But another uh, important thing is a defensive use. It it prevents other people from obtaining a patent that would, uh, you know, keep you out of an area. Uh, where you're, you know, perhaps where you're already practicing or where you want to soon. It also is a uh, it gives you a foundation for engaging in licensing activities, and uh, and for example, it can also be something to trade if you think you might find yourself in a position of maybe being in an argument with somebody about the scope of their patent and whether you might be infringing it, if you've got a patent that you can trade with them, sometimes you can solve that problem by licensing it to each other uh, rather than fighting over it. And then it also can be useful, as you guys know, it can be useful in, uh, in fundraising and, and uh, trying to get interest and support for uh, a startup or a, you know, a smaller enterprise. All
2: right, so I, I go to, I, I go and I, I get out, I get my patent and I issue the patent. Does that mean that uh, I'm the only one that can that can use my invention? Am I uh, off, off scot-free, ready to take
3: over the world? Yeah, now this is, this is a widely held misconception and and I'm so glad you asked that because it's really an important thing that a lot of people don't really get about a patent. It's true that other people can't practice the invention, can't do what's claimed in your invention without your permission, without a license from you. But just because you have a patent on something doesn't mean you're allowed to do it. The patent only gives you a a right to exclude other people from doing it. And you might say, well, I don't get that. That doesn't make any sense to me just intuitively but here here's why that happens so let's say you know brendan has a patent and it has uh, one claim in it and it's a process for manufacturing something and that that claim has five steps in it mm-hmm. and so brendan can stop anybody from doing steps one through five okay now comes jeff jeff has a different company and and jeff figures out an improvement to Brendan's patent. And he says, oh boy, if we just added this one additional step in here, we would get this added benefit. And no one's thought of this additional step before. Now Brendan doesn't have to uh, give permission to Jeff for Jeff to file that application. Jeff can go ahead and file the application with the new step six. And eventually even though brendan has steps 1 through 5 uh, jeff may well be able to get a patent an improvement on the, on brendan's patent that has 1 through 6 and when that's finished jeff can stop anybody from doing the process with steps 1 through 6 but but he can't practice steps 1 through 5 they're the same steps okay he can't practice steps 1 through 5 without a license from brendan Jeff, it's going to be very,
2: very expensive. Tim, I can (laughs) tell you, it's going to cost him a lot of dough. Those first five were very, very creative. But... uh, So, no, I, I so so effectively. If you control part, if you control part of the process, you don't necessarily can. You, you you would need the Jeff would effectively need my. He and I would need to kind of team up and do some kind of licensing back and forth if I wanted to use step six and he wanted to use steps one through five. Is that kind that, of the way that works? Exactly how these things shake out a lot of the time is
3: that you know you will you'll do that. You'll license it to each other. We call that a cross license, and uh, that will give Brendan an incentive to let jeff do his process and then brendan will also get to do jeff's process or at least they'll they'll pay each other or something they'll have some compromise that makes it worth both their while to get the needed permissions
2: all right so another question I, i have a great idea a great concept it's uh it's something novel i want to go out there and patent it from give me a range of how long that would take i mean is it what's the fastest you've seen and what's the longest you've seen
3: well um a pretty typical amount of time is three years, but it depends in large part on what type of technology is covered because the patent office is divided into, uh, they call it art, but, but different types of technology have different people that work on them because you have to have some expertise in that technology to, you know, to be a patent examiner. And so different categories of technology uh, are more backed up some than others, and so consequently, if you have a software invention, that can take as long as you know five six, seven years they have extra layers of uh, of review on those in order to redress some of the um, maybe slacker patents that were, sure. they were uh, criticized for granting over the years. And so so if you have a mechanical invention, it may take three and a half years. And if you have a uh, software invention, it may take six years. It, it really just depends. And it also depends on how much back and forth you're going to have with the, with the uh, patent examiner. And the more rounds of back and forth you have, the longer it's going to take, because the examiner will say, "Okay, here's what I think. You've got six months to answer me." And a lot of times, it takes most of
2: that time for the client and the lawyer to figure out how to respond. So, hey, Tim, can, Tim, I got to tell you, and I sort of cutting off. You you, um, Jeff's giving me the old time signal, but that seems like a lot of time from an entrepreneur's perspective. I mean, that's just is is that's uh, that's just. The way and, and if, if if somebody if I apply for a patent and but I don't, I don't get it for three or four or five years but somebody is competing with me during that period of time and I know this is going this is probably a lot tougher question than you know than, than I'm asking or a tough tougher answer but you know what happened I mean so once I get it can I go back and get compensated for the, for them having kind of violated my patent once I get it sometimes in in some
3: cases you can you can extract a reasonable royalty uh under limited circumstances, where you've put them on notice, and the thing you've put them on notice of continues and, and ends up being in the patent when it's finally issued, and it hasn't changed. So, in certain cases, you can. Not always.
2: Wow, that's a that's a long time for a, for an entrepreneur's mind. But I uh, I agree. Um, the um, well, why don't we uh,
4: – this is good stuff, and i tell you, <laughs> there's a lot of it depends, it depends, it depends. So I can see in this next segment we're going to really delve into some detail here, and I think this is very – I think you've simplified this a great deal for, for um, uh, our listeners, and it gets clearer every time that we've been talking the last several years, Tim. You're finally cracking that code in my brain. <laughs> um, anyway, for this segment, we're, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Tim, and we're going to keep delving into uh, intellectual property. Thanks for tuning into to The Second Stage.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
1: Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful, that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, Inspiration for the Entrepreneurial Mind with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with a passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader. Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America.
1: You are tuned into The Second Stage, to reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to one 866 472 5790 That's one 866 472 5790 Or send an email to the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson.
4: Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is our show, but it's a forum, so we're looking for input from you so that we can benefit from everyone's experience. Uh, you know, Brendan and I, uh, we have this Evolution Capital Partners. It's a second-stage company, and this intellectual property discussion that we're having is something that we've identified as an important topic for second-stage companies. Uh, please let us know through our blog if there are certain other topics that you think that we need to cover uh, you can email us at the second stage at evolution or blog at evolutioncp.com uh we're back here with Tim Connor from Calfee, Halter and Griswold focused on on intellectual property
2: welcome back um hey, tim I, i'm 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 uh, something that's kind of near and dear and actually something that uh, that uh, i think uh, jeff and uh, evolution and and Calphie actually recently dealt with is you know if um if I have, uh, if I own a company and and I have a uh, 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 an employee that comes up with a great invention while they're while they're while they're working for the company, I assume that I can just put my name on that and I'm off and running. Is that is that true?
3: Um, it's uh, w- was your question. Uh, who who gets to be on the patent? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. Now, here's one where I can give you a pretty straightforward answer. You guys are busting my chops for saying it right. every time. All right, all right. Here's a pretty straightforward answer for you. <laughs> uh, the only people that can be listed as inventors on the patent are the people who actually contributed to the invention that's in the patent. And that means if the boss says, oh, my team – You know, came up with this great thing. I wasn't in the room. I really didn't have anything to do with it. You don't get like a courtesy inventor uh, listing on the patent. And uh, it's more than just a rule, it's very important because if the inventorship on a patent is incorrect, then, you know, down the road, once that patent is issued, if you should want to sue somebody else, Uh, then when they're trying to figure out all the problems with your patent, if they can find a problem with the inventorship, somebody's missing that shouldn't be missing, somebody's there who shouldn't be there, then, you know, that can just blow the website out of the water, uh, sorry, blow the lawsuit out of the water because the patent's not valid. So it's really important that you don't have, you know, just courtesy (laughs) names as inventors on the patent. And it's also important because, you know, when you're trying to figure out what's novel, it might not be your whole product or your entire process. It may just be a piece of it. And so in order to figure out who's the inventor, you also have to figure out what's the invention. And uh, depending on the scope of what you want covered in that patent, you might have to add or drop people. And sometimes so, you would do that strategically because you don't want to include a person who maybe works for somebody else.
2: Wow. And so does that – the, the person, the inventor, do they control all the strings? Do they control the, the revenue stream if, if, if you don't have a, you know, something in an employment agreement or something, some agreement outside of that?
3: Uh, not usually. But usually what happens is, uh, let, let's say you've got some employees and they're inventors you will have had them sign a, uh, an inventions agreement. It might not be called that. It might be part of something that's called a, a nondisclosure agreement, or it might be part of something called an intellectual property agreement. What it's called isn't that important, or maybe just employment agreement. But the point is that it will obligate that employee to assign any inventions that they come up with to the company. And uh, that usually applies to works of authorship that are subject to copyright as well or trade secrets that you come up with. So that solves the problem with your own employee. Now, uh, now another tricky question is, you know, okay, what if you had a contractor who contributed to some of this stuff? Well, uh, that requires a written contract. Here's another unambiguous thing. There's got to be a written contract that assigns the ownership from that inventor to the to the uh, party that commissioned their
2: work well as you as you know from uh, the you know company that we just uh, evolution um, just sold uh, sold about a year ago or so we had a lot of contractors who were working on a software product for us and um, and uh, it was uh, it was quite a task to go back and prove. To, and this is like something I think that in particular Jeff learned because he was running that process. He really got to uh, you know the, the I think there was I don't know Jeff how many people worked on that pro you know that that uh, that software.
4: There's at least a half dozen. And, and to the, go back, yeah, the buyer wanted to come in and make sure that they had clean you know title and authorship you know to the product that that we had created and that was really the the you know, the backbone of the business that they were buying. And it made a whole lot of sense. But, you know, the four years before when we were cobbling this business together, that wasn't the forefront of our mind.
2: And it really yeah. has, and, and, and from our perspective, um, most of the investments we make, you know, pretty quickly, there's some sort of uh, software or, or uh, kind of uh, you know efficiency um, infrastructure we put in place where it requires a lot of outside contractors, and we've definitely changed the way we look at that. But it's uh, it, it was something that was almost uh, it was was a big surprise to us, as you know, Tim from. Uh, from that deal, that was, uh, you know, and it's it's amazing how um, it's just not in not not in front of mind of most entrepreneurs when they're hiring contractors to do this sort of thing. It's uh, you know, get the job done. I'll pay you the bill, and you know, you send me an invoice. I'll pay the bill, and everything should be done. It's uh, it's right. it's something that's not intuitive to most entrepreneurs.
3: Well, um, what is intuitive to them is well, I hired this guy to write me some code. He wrote the code. I asked him to write. I paid him. That should mean I own it, right? <laughs> and uh, Jeff and I, Jeff and I, sure thought that. Go ahead. <laughs> and, and and with software, you may be talking about patents, and you may also be talking about copyrights, uh, depending on what aspect of protection applies to that particular software. Or it might be both for some software, and uh, copyrights have similar rules to patents, where there's got to be an agreement. And it's got to say, you know, I'm transferring the ownership to this other party. And there's a whole added wrinkle with copyright uh, with something called work made for hire. If your employee is is making the software, that's automatically going to belong to the employer as long as it's within the scope of employment. If it's, a you know, a college kid who's working as a janitor who comes up with a great app for your company, then you might have to be careful but most of the time it's automatic because it's in the scope of the employment right but if you have a contractor do it it's a whole other set of circumstances and and it has to fit into one of eight prescribed categories in the statute software doesn't fit comfortably in all eight of those in any of those eight categories and so you almost always need to have an agreement that says well if it can be a work made for hire, then it is. But anyway,
2: we're assigning the copyright. And, uh, <laughs> All right. All right. I got a question for you. So I, I come up with a great idea, a great, a great thing that can be, you know, that's got it's novel. It's got some great stuff. But you know, I, is there is there any pressure to to act on it in any period of time? I mean, do I have do I have uh, um, any timing issues with obtaining a patent? Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, because of the the novelty requirement,
3: the requirement that something has to be new, um, you have to be very conscious about any time that you are making any kind of disclosure outside the company about the invention that you would like to get patented and uh, In fact, in most of the world outside the United States, any disclosure like that just that 's the end of your protection unless you have already filed either a regular patent application or what we'll talk about in a minute, a provisional patent application uh to protect your your rights. Once you make a disclosure where maybe you you know, you write a scientific paper that describes the invention or you go out and try and pitch the idea to potential customers. All these kind of things constitute um disclosures that will immediately uh, disqualify you from getting patent protection outside the U S inside the U S it's a bit more liberal. You have one year from those public disclosures to get something on file, either a, uh, either a provisional patent or a regular, a non-provisional utility patent application. So um, it's very important if you're thinking of, uh go into a trade show, if you're thinking of making a press release, if you're thinking of publishing a scientific paper, before you do that, preferably well before you do that, talk to an attorney, a patent attorney, about getting some protection. Now, it's not uncommon for somebody to hear this when, you know, it's two days before the trade show, right? Yeah. And when, when that happens, the provisional patent application that I mentioned a minute ago is really helpful because it, it doesn't have all the same uh, requirements of form that are required in a, in a regular application, and um, it, it does have certain requirements that you have to meet that basically it cover everything that's going to ultimately be in a regular application later based on this non-provisional. But this non-provisional will hold your place for a year, and uh, so then you will have another year from there to file the Full the regular patent application, and and uh, and get complete coverage. So it is useful. It's also typically not quite as expensive because it's it's not as uh, as robust as the full application, and so uh, it can be a great way to protect yourself uh, when time is short. And it can also be a good way to hedge your bets a little bit when you think you might want to get a patent, but. You're not quite sure if you want to do the whole thing. It it also can be a useful way to bunch together uh, what ultimately may turn out to be three or four patents. So now you can see there'd be some real savings uh, because uh, you can bunch together things that are ultimately going to turn into three or four related patent applications
2: in a family. Now, that makes sense to me. I like uh, that. uh... I like uh, that the provisional thing. <laughs> that makes sense to me. I like that. Yeah, that's, that's early. Yeah. that's that's a new. Record I like that. Yeah, I like that. One. <laughs> All right, tell me tell me about uh, trade secret protection and how and how can I possibly get that? I, I well, mean, so, tell- so trade
3: secret protection isn't something that you register for or apply for like the other things that we're talking about, patents and copyrights and trademarks. It's, uh, it's just a, a form of intellectual property right that arises under common law. And it arises when you have a secret that is valuable because it's secret. And, and this is an important part, and you have to be taking reasonable steps to preserve the secrecy of that secret. Give me an and idea.
2: I can't even picture what that would be.
3: Well, is- for example... Um, if, if you, let's say, you, I mean, the classic example of a, of a trade secret is, you know, the recipe for Coca-Cola or gotcha. for, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And, and uh, you know, those things, if they had been patented, they would have become known to the world after, you know, the patent expired after 20 years. And gotcha. everybody could make Coke. So instead, they, they just are really, really careful to protect the secret. And so you know, and, for, and be, for those
2: of you that know Jeff, he's very, very happy they protected that secret because he's, he's a Coke only guy. So you know, this is very, very, very important. I'd be making it in my
4: bathtub. Are you kidding me? I'd save a lot of money.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, so
3: you know, there are a lot of things. I mean, it may literally be in a vault. You know, that's part of a reasonable precaution that might be taken. Other reasonable precautions that might be taken might be that. Um, no single person knows the whole thing, you know, or only the chairman and uh, below the chairman, everybody else just has a piece of the secret. Another thing is, I mean, you've got to be careful to protect your, you know, your servers from being hacked and, you know, things like that so that uh, people can't steal this secret from you. And you've got to, if someone's working with your secret, this wouldn 't be the case for a coke recipe, but if if your secret were a, a method of manufacturing and you 've got employees and a lot of them are seeing this method, you should have them sign a non disclosure agreement and when other people you know your trading partners come into your factory, they should also be signing a non disclosure agreement and So all these kind of things that will be familiar to a lot of your entrepreneurs uh, who are listening uh need to be in place. And if they're not in place, you can actually lose your trade secret protection even though nobody has actually figured out your secret.
2: So what I hear you saying is that it's not always better to have a patent over, over a trade secret. And it may be that the trade secret is is better because you don't actually tell people what you're doing. Is that a yep. fair statement?
3: Th- that is a fair statement. And in fact, you know, there's, there's pros and cons to each of those approaches and uh, things that make uh, one better in some cases, and the other better in other cases. So, for example, uh, with a with a patent, you can't lose that if somebody reverse engineers your process or independently develops it. Um, you, on the one hand, once the application has been filed, you don't have to worry about keeping it secret again and any longer. You know, you don't have to worry about you know maintaining that secrecy but on the other hand um, it will not be a secret once your application publishes because you know your application has to has to describe the invention it's that's the trade-off you get a monopoly for twenty years but then after the monopoly ends everybody has been taught how to how to practice your invention and everyone gets to do it uh... so So that has both, you know, good and bad aspects to it. Depending, you know, it's helpful to you that you get to practice your competitor's stuff when their patent expires, and unhelpful that they get to practice yours after yours expires. Uh, Patents are relatively expensive, and uh, like I said before, they, you know, from the time they issue, they last about seventeen years. It's actually twenty years from the. Filing date, or, or sometimes there's an earlier date called a priority date. But so basically, you get 17 useful years out of a patent, but a trade secret can go, you know, potentially indefinitely.
2: And the Coke recipe is a good example of that. I like trade secrets. Hey, Jeff, <laughs> just, 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 Jeff, just like always, I've got, I've made, made my way through about 60% of the questions I intended to ask, but uh, Jeff's given me the uh, I'm way past my sign sign.
4: No, which is I give them the bird is basically what I do. Um, now now I, it's a double I, bird. I could have thrown in about a thousand jokes about trade secrets in there, but I figured that you know small children could get on the show and listen to the podcast. <laughs> so I kept my mind and my mouth shut. Anyway, uh, Tim, we're going to have to have you back on the show because there was, as Brendan said, he only got to about sixty percent of our questions, and uh, this is very, very helpful. And we really try to have actionable advice and encourage people to just get started and i think we've accomplished that uh so far in the show with with your expertise in intellectual property so thanks for being on the second stage
3: it was my pleasure thanks very much gentlemen thank
4: you and with that we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back for a short final segment for the second stage
1: And welcome back to
4: the second stage. We really appreciate you tuning in and hopefully you gathered a lot of great intelligence about intellectual property from Tim Connors. Uh, and again, you can find Tim at T Connors, that's C-O-N-N-O-R-S at Calfee dot com. Uh, or you can go to the firm website at calfee.com, calfe com. They're a firm that we use extensively here at Evolution, and uh, we've found great value, and uh, they've got a lot of folks like Tim that have deep subject matter expertise in areas um, uh, really across the spectrum of uh, the legal landscape. But anyway, Brennan, uh, so – if anybody uh, would struggle learning about intellectual property, it had to be you. And so Ooh. the the test here is: Did you learn
2: anything? I like lab? trade secrets. I like trade <laughs> secrets. They last forever. You can just lock them in a vault. I like those. I think we should, you know, forget this patent stuff. Let's just lock all of our great thoughts in in a little vault, and we'll call it a trade secret. I like that. It was. Yeah, well, in, and I like the um, and I like the uh, temporary. What was that thing? The, uh, the the provisional trade secret that or provisional patent. I like both those. Those are my favorites.
4: Well, we're totally screwed on the whole trade secret thing because, but you know, by definition, because we have this podcast. <laughs> I mean, oh. these are probably our best ideas, right? That we're well, I, out
2: here. I take these notes and I put them into a vault. So does that count? <laughs> <laughs> because he, isn't that, didn't he say you just have to protect them, right? So these yeah, are very exactly. valuable notes. And anyone. I'm wondering
4: if we could rent somebody else's vault. So if I borrow Tim's vault, does that, that
2: count? Yeah, it's going to have to be a big to
4: protect? vault. Yeah, we've got Jack. to know a
2: bank. We've got to know a bank that's got some spare vault space because uh, we got a lot of thoughts here. I
4: know. In, in, all, I know. in, in
2: all seriousness, this is it. Really, is um, important stuff, and in in um, and, and, and we really do face this stuff on a daily basis. And I, I think back to when we go to go to sell or you know or sell these companies, Jeff. They, the questions are real. The questions, you know, do you give me a list of your contractors? Give me a give me proof that they have signed off on the fact that. Uh, that they don't have any ownership rights to the software that they've written or the, or the, 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 text they've written. I mean, even, even, you know, texting your website t- you know, if you're not writing your own blogs, things like that. I mean, it's all, it's all stuff that needs to be, uh, th- th- that you need to prove that you own. And, uh, we learned, uh, we learned, I wouldn't say we, we, we figured it out, but it was, you know, it, it was a detail oriented game.
4: There, there's no question that this real stuff, and in all seriousness, you know, we we put things uh, subjects on the second stage that we believe are important. Uh, we try to put it and present it in such a way that it's easy to understand. That it's in such a way that you see how you can act on the advice that you're given. And again, we're just encouraging listeners to get started on some of these issues. And and again, this that more. The simpler that we present it, you know, hopefully it makes it easier just to take that, that initial step. So we, we've gotten to the part of the show, Brendan, where it's it's all about the passion for possibilities and you telling people what do they need to do this week.
2: Wow. How much time? Do, I'm, I suppose we still have an hour, Jeff, <laughs> maybe
4: yeah. two hours. No? We're going to okay. have to ask you to paraphrase today.
2: Oh, Okay. I, I, I would just encourage everybody to, to understand what you have. I mean, how important is it? Uh, it once you figure it out, um, you know, you, you should stop and consider whether uh, whether it's worth protecting, and if it is, just get going. I mean, it is passion about passion for possibilities.
4: No, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, hopefully you all are tuning in every week at Monday at 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Pacific. We're going to continue to dive into interesting topics here at the second stage. We're going to talk about core values. In upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about uh, HAG, which is one of Brennan's all-time favorites, which is and, a big And hero. the
2: X Factor. Don't forget the and, X Factor.
4: <laughs> and I, the X Factor. We're going to use all these code words just to create this intrigue so people come, come and listen. Yeah, X Factor is going to be big, big, That's, big, big. That, that, even that's making me curious. How do you know what's going to come out of that one? So anyway, thanks for tuning in, everybody, uh, this week to the second stage, and we look forward to speaking with you next Monday at 5 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Pacific, about best practices in small business. Thanks for
1: tuning in. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to the second stage. Please join Jeffrey Kadlich and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.